regret it personally, taking funding from the merchants and having merchants on your board? Uh, no, I, I, but I think they they need to learn to be more open about what they do and and how they operate. Uh, yeah, but but no, I, I don't regret. I mean, they've they've helped us and many other youth organisations and many other charities in the city to to do some good stuff in the city. But I think they haven't. What they haven't done is acknowledge their past and the role that they've played in creating some of the inequality in the city that they're now potentially trying to undo. Welcome to Bristol Unpacked Local Election Special 2021. On May the 6th, Bristol will be going to the polls to elect people to run our city. The Bristol Mayor, all 70 local councillors, a police and crime commissioner and the West of England Mayor. I will be sitting down with the main candidates for Bristol Mayor, helping you decide who to lend your vote to in the race for City Hall. My conversations will be informed by cable readers who have contributed key topics and questions to our Citizens Agenda project. My approach is to be free-flowing, have a conversation to find out who they are, what they say they will do, and the political beliefs that guide them. Think less Andrew Neil, maybe a bit more Louis Ferru. I'll have a bit of fun with them along the way, find out a bit about them, and challenge them when necessary. Here goes. In this episode of Bristol Unpacked, it's election fever again. We talk to Sandy Hoare-Riven, the Green Party candidate for Bristol Mayor. He's been the Chief Executive Officer of Creative Youth Network for 15 years, a youth charity which has grown to become one of the largest of its type in the UK. We talk to him on why he wants to be mayor, who he is, what changes he will bring to the city and whether he really thinks he has a realistic chance of winning. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen. So this is the second one we're recording. We did interview Alistair Watson, the Tory candidate, last week. He responded to your campaign sort of kind of headline being that the Greens are the only real party that can beat Labour's candidate, Mayor Marvin Rees. He said, no, that's not true. The Tories are the only opposition. What what, what do you you say to that? Well, I I would say my experience of Bristol is it's a generally a left-leaning city. And if you look at all of the votes that were cast in the last election, they were all very largely left-leaning. Obviously, there's a lot of votes that were for George Ferguson last time around, and he's not standing again, and there's no other major independents. So I would suggest that Bristol will vote left of one kind or another, whether that's Labour or Green. And therefore, I would say... we have, I have the best chance of uh, unseating Marvin if that's what people want. And do you see the sort of large chunk of George's votes? Is that is that where you're looking to make serious kind of inroads? Yes, I think so. I, th- I think people are looking for when we go door knocking, and you know, people are, are responding on Facebook. They're they're looking for somebody with uh, progressive values, so somebody who cares about equality and the the environment. You know, we've learned a lot uh, during the pandemic about what really matters: our communities, clean air, friends, and, and family, and, and that kind of thing. So people are are looking for that, but they're also looking for somebody who's going to run the city in a competent way too. So somebody who's got background and looking after the money really getting things done and I think that's the frustration that people have had with the current administration is there's lots of words but not so much action lots of that's their slogan though isn't it Sandy you're not taking their slogan getting things done uh, no, I'm not taking their slogan um, <laughs> no. and I think maybe sometimes slogans cover for what really needs to happen um, and maybe it's an admission that that things aren't 
getting done that uh, they need to make it a slogan. Thou protesteth too much kind mm. of thing. People talk about Labour being a broad church, and even the Tories to a certain degree. I've been, I've been looking a bit into the Green Party. Are you familiar with this kiwis, mangoes, watermelons thing? Oh, no, no, I'm not. But there's different types of Green Party members. There's, there's sort of kiwis who are green on the outside, green on the inside. It's very strong on, on, on climate issues, yeah. and that's the kind of solitary thing. Mangoes are green on the outside, but orange on the inside. I guess more, maybe a bit more centrist in their kind of politics. Yeah. And, and watermelons are more radical left activist greens that are green on the outside, but red on the inside. What What would you be? What would I be? God, so I think, Don't say banana, whatever you do. Look, yeah. so, so for me, the, the two key things, so I, I, I tell, it's probably worth looking at kind of my career and where I started. So I, I did a, a degree in environmental science because I was kind of inspired by the David Attenborough programs of the 70s and 80s and, you know, started to realise that, that we needed to, to look after our planet. Um, so my first job was was running the Friends of the Earth office in in Bristol, and I was uh, you know very much campaigning around environmental issues. But one of the things that I did there was to set up a youth group, trying to sort of do what Greta has done, but far less successfully. But we did have a small band of young people who who went around schools and talked on climate issues, and that's where I got my passion for working with young people, and actually realised that for the time being, that's really what I wanted to do. And and I'm also passionate about issues of equality and particularly you know young people getting the start they deserve in life regardless of their background and I think there can be a combination of tackling the big environmental issues like climate change and clean air and at the same time tackling the issues of of inequality and you know one key example of that would be for example transport you know I've worked with young people out in Hartcliffe and and Southmead and places where the bus service isn't good enough. They can't get to work. They can't get to college because the bus service isn't good enough. Um, and so therefore, having a good public transport system is important for them to get the opportunities to the training to college but it's also good for the environment and to me it's those two things are, are, okay. are combined so on that analogy then you would you would be a, a kind of combination of a mango and a watermelon then yes if, yeah, <laughs> okay. so I'm kind of yeah I'm, I'm good with being those I like them both I like watermelons I like mangoes so you'll know Neil I, I've done youth work all of my life and I run the creative youth network and I've taken it from a small very you know tiny East Bristol charity into now one of the largest of its kind in the country and you know at the beginning of that part of my career over the last 15 years you know I, I had the choice I could, okay could, you know should I campaign to get more funding for youth services for young people to give them the support they need Austerity's coming but actually my choice was to 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 do it, to, to actually give the young people the support that they need. And lo and behold, when you start doing it, people support you. And we've brought more money into the city for youth work. And, and what's become really clear for me over the last year or so is actually we've got a really good support system for young people in the city, partly because of what I've done, not entirely, but partly yeah. because of what I've done. That, that actually many other cities don't have. And I'm a, I'm a great believer if you can prove that you can do it, then people start to invest, start to put money into it and start to believe it that, that it can happen rather than the kind of campaigner 
who yeah. sort of bangs a drum about a particular issue. Um, that's not so much me. I'm the, the person who just likes to, I'll give it a shot. Let's try it out. If it doesn't work, we'll try something different. You're a practical person. I'm a practical person. Yeah. And, a, 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 yeah. you know, yes, absolutely. But just a little bit about you. Initially, mm. why have you put yourself forward? Why did you want to do this? So um, I, I've always had it in the back of my mind that I've, you know, been interested in politics. Um, but I feel like now's a time, you know, I, I rejoined the Green Party after the Brexit referendum because I thought gosh this you know society seems to be sort of splitting and and I felt the need to do something and put myself forward. But you've been a member consecutively since? Well I was I was a member of the Green Party way back then you know yeah. like many people had kids and you know life yeah. sort of took over and did my day job so sort of that lapsed but then my children have grown up now I've got two adopted children but they're in their sort of early 20s now and so I've got a bit more time um, I've got a bit more experience and a bit more understanding of 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 what works so I felt like I, I had something to contribute uh, and why the Greens because uh, I've, I mean, I've always considered the, the Labour Party or it's a good question um yeah and look you know many of the the values are, are similar to to the Labour Party I want to see equality and everybody having a, a the, the chance and people to be well paid in their jobs and that sort of thing but I do have that other passion which is environmental issues and so I I've always you know voted green where I can do you know the other thing about the Green Party that I really like is we're not whip you know you, you're allowed to believe what you want to believe and you can and we can we discuss things but there's no sort of you must tow the party line I have to say I've I've been a bit worried about the Labour Party both nationally and locally the sort of sense that they absolutely have to control the narrative right the way through from the current Labour Mayor through to you know Keir Starmer you, you do have uh, one advantage don't you that other people wouldn't that your partner Zoe Sears was the press officer or the PA to, for George Ferguson. So, so would you, is she, are you getting sort of support from the from the kind of wings? Well, yes, I, I, I love Zoe dearly. She was she was the head of George's office, so she head did, the, she did the job yeah. that, that, yeah. that Kevin, Kevin Slocum does now. Does yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. she ran his office, and so yes, yeah, so she she tells me all sorts of things. Sort of over the know, breakfast table, you're getting kind well, of you're, you're getting you know tips and and you know kind of how to present yourself. Present, you know, it must give you a bit of a slight advantage. It is, I have a bit of an insight into what yeah. what it might yeah. be like. I mean, bear in mind that that when they started, there was no infrastructure around the mayor at all. I mean, this is the thing. You know, when George became yeah. mayor, there was no he didn't have any even have a PA, let alone yeah. an office and, and all that kind of thing. So I think they had to make it up a bit from, from scratch. But do you know what, though, with Zoe, I'm trying to keep it. We're trying to keep it very much that we don't talk about it. I mean, of course, I ask okay. her advice and that kind of thing. But, you know, people said, oh, are you going to get her as your campaign Yeah, would you? Manager? I've been trying to no, no, that's no, my question. Next question. Like, no, you would do or not? No, no, no. She's my partner. Why not? Why I love not? her. I don't want to be talking. That's what Trump does. Doesn't he? Trump gets all the family around him. That's, that's yeah. the end thing now well, isn't it well there's a good good reason not to do it <laughs> on that note, you're saying not going to but obviously with her sort of close relationship to george is george sort of quietly supporting you from the wings with this uh, you'd need to ask you'll have to ask george that but again you know i've known george even long before he was mayor so yeah. you know he, he's he's a person who's done a lot in the city and um and i i always admire people who've done things for the city who've taken those risks and and so yes i've had some conversations with him about a, a number of issues and and he's given me his thoughts on that. But you're not going to tell me what they are? No. 
<laughs> okay. Okay. Let's talk a bit about you and, and your background. When did you come to Bristol, Sandy? Oh, uh, so I moved to Bristol. It's a little bit lost in time, but I think yeah. sometime around the mid 90s. Yeah. I grew up in London, but didn't want to live there anymore. People told me that Bristol was a nice place, and I, a friend of a friend had a flat that he could lend me in St Paul's. So I arrived with my bicycle, my record collection in a bag of clothes and moved to Bristol. And your 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 family, am I right in thinking your family are connected to landed gentry? Is that right? You have it in, in Cleverley in, in North Devon? So so I have some distant relatives who share my surname. Um, yes, who who somebody that, that, that have some kind of title. Um, but the, the connection to, to the village in, in North Devon is simple that my dad bought an old farm workers cottage there in 1972 for £2,000. My parents retired there and then and that's it so that's yeah that's the connection. And it's a lovely place Bowler Cows I've not been there. It is beautiful it's stunning. Yeah beautiful place but you have to be interviewed to live there is that right? It's privately owned village? Yes I think it is a privately owned village but that has nothing to do with me I don't know if you have to be interviewed to live there. Yeah. My my understanding of of the uh, of the village is that they didn't want people buying second homes there. Ah, I see. So it's the the Earl of Gowrie was was a direct relation to you. He was a British Army officer, and he's with the Governor General of Australia. Do you think it matters? And I know that someone like the mayor in particular, you know, talks a lot about where he comes from, his working class credentials. It very much is who he is and what he kind of presents out for a PR kind of sense as much as anything or, or what he feels is his all authenticity. If obviously your, if your background is a bit more kind of affluent, does that matter in what you can deliver and do? No, I don't think so. I, I've spent my life trying to make the world a more equal place and the city a more equal place. I think people should be judged by what, what they do. I can't account for, for, you know, family and what they've done a hundred more more years ago that's not really anything, anything i have any yeah. control over right great youth network is uh, the organization that you're ceo of under your leadership it has grown significantly to be the leading youth organization across the region and you've acquired through the community asset transfer old council buildings to be revamped and redone for youth centers yeah you also operate and run the, the station yeah which is where the cable offices have now relocated to uh, would it be a fair to say that under your leadership quite a few for network have profited and benefited from austerity i don't we're, we're a charity so we can't profit profit in the sense of getting contracts and buildings and stuff well so i i had a very clear view that when austerity hit you know what was clear is that if services were going to be cut back and back and back and youth services so support for young people and just you know for, for those who don't know we offer sort of mental health support support for young people to get into work we run youth clubs courses and, and programs to give young people opportunities they otherwise wouldn't necessarily have but when austerity hit and what became clear is that, that there was going to be less money and bear in mind at this time i'd four staff or something like that and so I fixed the computers cleaned the window did the fundraising and did the youth work so how do we start bringing in money when money's going to disappear and buildings was one way that we did that so we we 
bought. We raised the money. The one building that we had as a community asset transfer was the Hannam Youth Centre, which is in South Gloss. All the other buildings we got, we bought. And uh, when they're not being used by young people for training, were they bought like a peppercorn? No, no, we bought. I mean, we bought the station for a million pounds. We raised the money from donors and and others and and lottery funding, and we bought it. And and the point being that then what we do is when those buildings aren't being used by young people, we rent them out. So some offices like yours, but for other, you know. People who have meetings and events and shows and all the sorts of things in there, which then brings in money that replaces the money that's been lost through austerity. So that's why we just took a business approach to it. And, yeah. and that's allowed us to keep youth services going. So I don't know if austerity has been good for us, but it's it, it, we, we took the right strategic decisions yeah. to the, took the, the opportunity. That, yeah, we took the opportunity. The decommissioning of services from the from the council. Would you yeah. so, so in, in effect, the Creative Youth Network deliver services for young people, but are also a landlord? Yes, we're both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of the criticisms from the left, this is more, I would say, of of the mayor, is that he sort of moved services away from the council and is perhaps kind of aligning a lot more with third sector organisations. Is that mm. something that you, presumably, you you would kind of challenge that and, and say that it's an effective way of working? I think it can be. Charities can bring in, as we have, extra money where government has cut back and so therefore yes I'm I'm supportive where, where I'm less supportive is when you go purely to the private sector so for example in house building and that kind of thing or, or even in in say you know social care for adults when you go privately that is where people can make a profit out of the local authority or, or taxpayers money the, yeah. the difference with a charity is you can't make a profit any any surplus you make at the end of the year gets plowed back into um, making the services better so yes i am a believer in the in the charity sector i think look and and uh, sometimes it's the local authority is the best sometimes the 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 charity sector is the best occasionally the private sector is is good so i'm not so sort of wedded to an ideology that says it must just be private or it must just be public i think we you take every situation as it as it arises let's just talk a bit about the current regime for you what are the biggest failures of the uh, current mayoral regime in bristol i I think it's a lack of getting things done I, i think we've seen uh, you know the declaration of the climate emergency but but nothing's really happened as a result of that special educational needs is a, is another one where you know young people are being failed with the worst in the country for supporting those with special educational needs and that's and, something you have a personal and that is uh, something i have a, a personal family, a family to, yeah. and a yeah. professional connection to and that yeah. so that's important to to me there's lots of talk of grand plans for public transport in the city but again nothing's really moved forward even the housing which was the the mayor's you know very clear pledge to build more affordable homes he's built less than or say he the public the private sector that he's relied on has built less than half the number of affordable homes that that he promised so i i think people are frustrated they they like the ideas but then if it's not followed through that matters to people. Uh, what about things he's done well? So I think I think the key thing that um, that the mayor has done well. I think the city leadership is far more diverse than it used to be, and I think that's a good thing. The leadership of the city needs to reflect 
the communities that live here. And, and I think the mayor has done that and, and hats off to him. And, you know, like many people, I, I, I'm very proud that we've got a black mayor of the city. And it's it's important, you know, for young people and others to, to feel like they have a place and a voice in our society. So I think the mayor has done a good job in that respect. Cool. Right. As you know, we've asked everybody uh, each to give a question yeah. to each of you. So I'm going to read out your questions from the other candidates. I'll start with Mayor Marvin Rees. So their question to you yeah. is, it's quite a long one. Okay. Um, why was your campaign opening announcement to support the city centre arena, 167 million of public money, heaviest carbon output building in the city, and all evidence shows 70% of users arrive by car? How is that financially prudent when Bristol is now getting an arena at no cost and out of the worst polluted areas? Okay. Gosh, I'm interested that you brought up the arena. Um, So I was very and still very supportive of the idea of an arena in the city centre. I don't think we should have two arenas. So if the one in Filton gets built, then, you know, that's that's the end of it. But we're still waiting. So my answer to that is that if you looked at the business plan and we went through it, in in huge detail and every other party agreed in fact some of the mayor's own party agreed that actually it wouldn't be a cost to the taxpayer that actually the business plan yes we would borrow money or or put in money but it would be paid back over 18 years and it's like a mortgage you put your money in and after 18 years of operation it would start to turn a profit for the city and you know, the reason for putting an arena in the city centre, first, let's look at the environment, number of people coming by cars, you need to give people an option to come by public transport. And what better place than to put an arena than by the main train station in Bristol city centre. So that's, that's a key thing, it starts to build the city that that we want to create a city where you don't have to drive, you know, as we we need to, to put in measures to give people alternatives to driving and start to restrict car use a little bit then putting an arena in the city center is is the the right thing to do the second thing is it's the strategic asset for the city right so by building one out in Filton, it's going to be a bit like Cribs Causeway. You're going to drive there. You're going to have your meal in your Weatherspoons pub. You're going to go to the gig and then you're going to go home again. You're not going to see the city. Whereas if you have it in the city centre, you come into Bristol. And, and I don't know about you, but I've been to Cardiff Arena a few times. You yeah. go there, you you might go to a local restaurant to have your evening meal. You might go to, the, to a local pub and get a beer or two. You know, you might even do a little bit of shopping while you're there. So, so having the arena in... Uh, the city centre means that actually all of the businesses in the city centre will benefit. And uh, lo and behold, you know, the places in in the south of the city where more people are looking for jobs than anywhere else, it's much more accessible and therefore is potentially uh, good for employment in in the south of the city. Well, why do you think they've, if if that's, if all that's true, then why do you think that they changed? Why why do you think they they sort of abandoned the idea of the arena and and go for Filton? Look, I, I, I can't speculate. Uh, you know, there, I have ideas in my head, but I'm not going to share them because I don't know if they're, they're true or not. Some people think it might be a bit of an ego thing because they didn't want it to be George's arena. Would you show that? I, I don't, look, I, I, I don't know the mind of the mayor. What I do know is that the full council, including the mayor, voted that the city centre venue was the best place to put the arena. Um, and literally the next day, the mayor said, but I'm going to put it up in, in Filton. And do you know what? Just 
Just to add the other thing about the millions of pounds need to be put in. Well, those millions of pounds that were earmarked for the arena in the centre are also now going to be spent on the arena in the north of the city. There has to be extra bus stations, train stations put in there, you know, which is going to cost something similar to to the amount that would have been put into the arena next to Temple Mead. So you and I as taxpayers don't save any any money. So you would bring the arena back if you win... No, I, well, no, not if it gets built in Filton, if that genuinely yeah. goes ahead. And I think there are some questions about it, but it, it, it's underway now. It, it, it would be silly to, to stop that and rebuild it in the city centre. That would be a huge cost. If YTL find that their arena doesn't stack up financially, then yes, absolutely, I would bring it back into the, into the city centre. OK, let's go to Liberal Democrat candidate Caroline Gooch's question bit more punchy this one Mm -hmm. why did the green party change their opposition to city mayors at their spring conference so um the the green party changed its policy so we now support the mayoral systems where there's been a referendum of local people so the green party used to be against mayors full stop but but they realized that actually in some places like bristol and london and, and elsewhere where there's been a referendum and the people have chosen to have a mayor then we should support it we're a democratic party we, we it's not because the greens have got bigger inroads and vested interest in a city like Bristol? Uh, no, I, you know, there's plenty of places where the Greens aren't uh, or might not become mayors. What, what we're against is mayors that have been imposed on particular areas by a council or by central government, which is fair enough because that wasn't chosen by the local people. OK, and finally from Alistair Watson, the Conservative uh, candidate. Do you agree with the Green Police and Crime Commissioner candidate Cleo Lake that referring to... Bristol riots, she said, or Bristol protest, it's easy to blame the rioters. In our hearts, the situation is more complex. And Bristol has often been at the forefront of these movements with a strong history of protest and dissent. If I was the PCC, the main thing I would do would be to have an internal inquiry into why things turn so violent. That's quoted from the Bristol Post. I guess the question is, do you agree with an internal inquiry? Yes. And I've called for it. I've, I supported our PCC candidate. Look, you know, there's... There were some questionable things from the police and there were certainly some bad, bad actions by protesters. And I think we need to look at both of those things. Any any event of that sort of magnitude and that sort of impact on the city, of course, there should be a, a, an inquiry and we should we should look to learn lessons and yeah, and, and try to make sure it doesn't happen again. So when. Just to be clear, that doesn't mean I support our police. You know, on a day to day basis, I work with our police to, uh, you know, uh, get young people out of sexual exploitation, to reduce antisocial behaviour. I have huge respect for our police. I've been out on a couple of ride alongs, which I'd recommend anybody do. Anybody can do it, obviously post COVID, but you can go out with the police, see what they do. I found them to be nothing but professional, kind, gritty when they need to be. So I'm fully supportive of our police, but I'm also fully supportive of our protesters too. I think it is absolutely a, a, a democratic right to be able to protest and and raise your your issues it's not a democratic right to be able to riot and i'm fully against that it did feel there was a slight discrepancy between your original statement on twitter and mm. what clear lake was saying and then you kind of put out a joint message was there mm. a kind of was there any conversations that took place to have a kind of unified public message that might just be my reading of it when i read yeah. the first two it seemed slightly different and then it was a slight pivot 
Would that yeah, be fair? Yeah, so of course we had internal uh, discussions about what, what the, the right approach um, to, to it was. But I, I think the, the, the situation evolved, you know, that first night of what were riots, I switch on the, the um, or scrolling through Facebook and I see a burning van outside the station. So the building that I run, yeah. you know, it's a couple of metres away. If that had caught fire to the building, you know, that's there to support young people, then, you know, we would have lost a huge resource that was is helping young people get the opportunities. Did that they, frame they was that an emotional did that frame your reaction then? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. But but look, I, I you know, you cannot condone somebody trying to set fire to a police van with somebody in it, somebody firing fireworks at a police horse, you know, the defecation on people's shoes and all that sort of thing. But equally, nor can you condone, you know, the, the punching in the face of a protester. Yeah, was it college green that changed was it the college yeah, green so, that so changed things, your your position a little bit? Yeah, then. so things yeah. started to change. You know, the, the the situation like this is an evolving one. So my um view of that first night is I think the, the I'm afraid the the few rioters got out of hand um the police weren't prepared for that and and lost control and the, the rioters themselves lost control of themselves I'm all for civil disobedience you know this is uh, I, I and protest I think is absolutely okay but it has to be peaceful but then the police appeared to come back and and there were some officers who who appeared to overstep the line and I think there should be an investigation of that and then what you know what was good everybody learns their lessons and the last two protests have been generally peaceful and that's good and people should have the right to protest and the police have handled it very well but the Green Party position is now is an internal inquiry yeah, I think it should be. Look, at any any if anything that big happens in our city, of course there should be an inquiry because we need to look at what it is that we can learn. Have you had a response from the mayor, whether he agrees? No. No. OK. Just jump in to tell you a bit about the cable. So we are doing these election specials. We are doing lots of coverage all across the council elections Bristol mayor elections like these interviews and across the metro mayor so if you want to get involved find out a little bit more about your city who you can vote for where you can go you can also not just read or listen like you are now but you can become a member of the Bristol Cable too and shape decisions about what we cover so yeah get to the website uh, which is the Bristol Cable website and you can find out a bit more how you become a member and you can chuck some money in every month back to the chat Um, right, that's the three questions. So we, the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives changed their candidates, sort of not not quite at the eleventh hour. I know the Conservatives, the, uh, the Liberal Democrats did first, and the, the Conservatives relatively recently. Mm. Were there any talks in the Green Party to replace you with Clear Lake? No, none at all. None. There was never any decision, any any potential decision about switching or changing candidates. No. Okay. Genuinely and, not. I mean, yeah, I don't know where that came from. Okay, yeah. Okay. On the, the, the issue of one city. So the one city strategy led by the mayor has the stated aim to bring in a range of stakeholders from the public, private and voluntary sectors to work with the council across a range of issues. Lauded by some as innovative, by others it's been criticised for sidestepping democratic accountability in favour of hand-picked boards and groups over elected councillors. This is something that you know people, particularly of the left, have been quite critical of the the bypassing of democracy 
bypassing of council decisions into the kind of hands of unelected power. Other people say that this is, you know, a way of fast tracking decisions in what notoriously has been known as quite a kind of a slow process, a bureaucratic process where we don't get things done in Bristol, you know, if we go back decades. What what do you think of the one city kind of concept? And if you do win Sandy, would you keep it? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd love to to see something that's come from the one city plan that's actually become action. I, I think this fear oh, okay. that somehow yeah. things have myth. come out of yep. the one city plan and and then become reality. I, I would, in some ways, I'd love that because I, you know, there's been all sorts of talk of free transport for young people and yeah. uh, lots of different things, but I, I don't see anything that's actually come out of it. And for me, we need to turn the one city plan into one city action and actually take some action so i i think it's fine to to i, I think it's been a, a good idea to to bring in others from the charity sector business you know elsewhere academia to help inform council yeah. decision making i think that's a good thing and i think it can build partnerships between organizations that means you can get more more done so i'm 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 all for that but then you know, if you're going to use council money to enact some of those things or, or use that as a way of developing your priorities, then it has to go through ultimately the, the democratic decision making process. So I, th- I think it's fine as an ad- advisory group and that's helpful for the mayor and the council to make good decisions. I think politicians should be in there. That's been the slightly strange thing is that the One City Plan has had no political input other than members of, of Marvin and his closest circles. So I think, you know, politicians all have a, a key part to play in, in the future of the city and should be involved in, in that. But then any, ultimately, any decisions or plans that come out of it need to be signed off by by the local so authority So you would itself. tweak the, the, you would, Alistair, I think Alistair said he would literally just do away with it, uh, the Tory candidate, would literally just get rid of it, full stop. You were saying you would implement something that was, was slightly different. Well, and, and I think it's so broad ranging, you know, it covers, I, I mean, I remember being involved in it a few years ago and, you know, trying to come up with a, a sort of target for every sector for every year between now and 2050 and it sort of becomes mm. a bit of a meaningless exercise what it should do is really bring together the top people in the city come up with and say look these are just one or two key priorities that we're going to focus yeah. on and just stick to those your record as ceo of of cyn as we touched before it is actually working outside of the council it is working i yeah. know you've had key businessmen in the city on the board of cyn over the years yeah. you know you've, you've had philanthropists kind of funding you're, you're kind of tapped into that world yeah. yourself a bit aren't you really yes i am yeah no and i think it's a good thing but as i say any then any final decisions have to be signed off by the council but there's no way that any money spent on it should be uh, it should go through anything other than than the proper council decision-making process. And you would bring back a rainbow cabinet? I would bring back a rainbow cabinet, a cross-party cabinet, absolutely. I'm a believer in hearing all voices and and very much want to... Yeah, make sure that, that those voices from all parts of the city are heard in our decision making. I think in the short term, it can you know sometimes make things a bit tougher, but in the long term, it makes for, for better decisions. And that's why I want to do it. So the role itself... Because there are some, I've interviewed a couple on this show, a green councillors mm. or one one former green councillor who very much would want to do away with the mayoral role mm-hmm. itself. Why don't you want to scrap it? What is it about the position that you think is a positive for the city? So I, I think people voted to to have a mayor 
whenever it was nine years ago, because things weren't getting done. Uh, I think uh, our first mayor, George, did start to get things done. I think it stalled a little bit in in the last five years. But I still think people want to have a direct way of voting for the person who's who's leading the city. But we would, as well as a, a cross-party cabinet, we would also make sure that the mayor is held to account on big issues. So we, we, we want to make sure that, you know, if there's a big issue like the arena that's of strategic importance or, say, the Cumberland Basin development, you know, these are big things that we're going to have yeah. to live with as a city and our children will have to live with for, for years to come. And the, the council should have the final say on that and, and the mayor can put that proposal to to the council and the council can vote on it and the mayor should abide by by the vote of of the council but there's nothing kind of written that he has to or she has to is there that's no there's not but i would commit to doing that sure uh colson statue Mm. um on the sort of colson statue itself had you been mayor four years ago would you have taken it down God, that's a, it's an impossible question to answer. Um, I, I would have liked to have done. And I certainly that there was the plaque was you know should have changed to recognise his past. You know, and within the Green Party, we do have Cleo Lake, who's campaigned for years and years on this issue and has that really truly authentic authentic mm. voice. Yes, I think it should have come down. What I want to do with that plinth now is to is to turn it into a place where we get Bristolian artists to exhibit their work and tell the story of the whole city and I'd want to start with um, black artists telling their history um, but then the rest of the the city telling their story too you know and maybe it changes every six months or three months or something like that. And the Jen Reed statue would you have taken it down so quick? Oh um, well I think I think you know we, I, I was pretty quick and I think lots of other people did too and said look we should have art up there I think it would have been fine to have it up there if it was we knew it was going to be up there for three months and then replaced by something else so I think it was a perfectly good thing to have up there um, I, I think what Marvin seemed to get worried about was this was going to replace a person who enslaved uh, Africans to a sort of a, a left-wing uh, you know, protester, and and we want that balance. But you get that balance by having different artists displaying their work. So, yes, I think we should have had it up there, but not forever. So, you, would you take it down in? A, I think it was a day, wouldn't it? A day, yeah. Do you know what was probably behind it? I, I can yeah. bet you. I mean, this is a slightly boring thing to say, but probably it wasn't affixed properly, and it might have fallen on someone's head. So, there's health probably a health and safety yeah. thing, yeah. right? And then yeah. that would have been the news. And connected to the to the statue are obviously the the merchant venturers, which do hold you know f- fair bit of kind of sway mm-hmm. and have done traditionally in, in the city. What's your view on them? Your your personal view? Are they good for the city? Oh gosh, look, I've I've had some dealings with them in the past. Um, I, I they, they are clearly wealthy business people who uh, talk with each other. I think there's a. I, I don't think they quite hold the sort of behind the scenes power that some people think that that they do they do do a lot of stuff for charity but then they are also what they haven't done is owned up yet or or really uh, looked into their history and come out in public to talk about uh, 
what it is that they do, what their past is, and and then really what they want to do for for uh, for the future. So do I you think, think people is... have turned a blind eye to that a bit in Bristol, particularly in the in the third sector, because obviously a lot of funding comes through some of the sort of slush funds through through the merchants. You, I know you you've had a few on create a few for networks board yeah. over the years as have a number of youth organizations and community organizations in the city but it kind of took the statue down for people to start other than countering colston and and the radical history group and and, and sort of certain communities talking about this it really took the statue to come down for people to really kind of face up to the reality of who colston was and, and potentially yeah. his relationship and role that the merchants have in the city Yes, I, I, you're, you're right. Um, and should they have done that before? Absolutely. Should they have? Uh, Do you regret uh, it personally, taking funding from the merchants and having merchants on your board? Uh, no, I, I've. Um, I, I, but I think they. They need to learn to be more open about what they do, um, and and how they operate. Uh, yeah. But but no, I I don't regret. I mean, they've they've helped us and many other youth organisations and many other charities in the city to to do some good stuff in the city. But I think they haven't. What they haven't done is acknowledge their past and the role that they've played in creating some of the inequality in the city that that they're now potentially trying to undo. Uh, should they have done that before? Yes, absolutely. Um, but I hope they're learning now. Okay, some of the conversations and questions are sort of framed from some cable listeners. What they're particularly interested to know from you is what you would do and all the candidates would do specifically around transport, around housing and around Mm. a a green economy, green technology. On housing uh, first, if you can. Okay, so I've announced that we would look to build 2,000 new council homes over the next decade. Bear in mind, we've built about 142, I think, in the last five years. I think the, the the current Labour mayor's made the mistake of relying on the or aiming to rely on the, the private sector to build affordable homes for people. And that really hasn't worked. He's achieved less than half of his, his target. And I think fundamentally, we can't rely on the private sector to do that. So therefore, we need to build council homes. And 2000 is about what we could afford. I'd love to build more, but I think that's about what we what we can afford. Have you changed your pledge on this? No. No, okay. Two thousand is that over a ten year period? Yeah, it's over a ten year period, yeah. Was it always that? Yes, yeah. And 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 is that something that you think is very much achievable? I mean, one of the kind of arguments of some of the housing uh, targets that have not been met that the, the mayors uh, or the current mayors office say is that we, we set bold and challenging mm. kind of targets and we were ambitious in, in that and maybe too ambitious but you feel that is a realistic target i think i think it is ambitious i mean i've talked to council officers and it, it is it, it's ambitious but it's on the right end of ambitious rather than high in the sky and i've looked in sort of quite a lot of detail at this and uh, and how much we can afford and how long it would take to build yeah so yes, and and I you know I draw on my existing experience developing large scale capital projects, you know the buildings, the station, and and that kind of thing, and yeah. and have an understanding. You know, some people are saying, why don't you build loads more? Well, a we can afford it, and b you know it, it's it, it it is an ambitious target. So I think it's about right, and I think you know what's most important is that we give people a place to call home and i mean there's thirteen thousand people on the council house waiting list yeah you know those are people who are in temporary accommodation their kids 
don't have anywhere permanent to invite their friends around or do their homework. You know, it's more difficult to open a bank account or, you know, register to vote and those sorts of things. And, and your life is on hold until you get a good home and, and the council can provide that good home. Yeah. And, and that has to be one of the core things that we can do to make our city a more equal place. And that's retrofitting all, all, all and existing. And so on, on yeah. top of that, we'd like to retrofit all of the existing council homes with insulation. Three key things happen as a result of that. A, we create about 10,000 new jobs. B, you obviously reduce the bills for those who live there. So often some of the most vulnerable and poorest in our city get reduced bills. And of course, it reduces our emissions, council house emissions, we think by about 75%. You know, this is what I mean about combining environmental issues with equality issues. Actually, the two with things like that, you you create jobs, you reduce emissions, you reduce bills. Everybody's a winner. Some official analysis, there was an article I think in the cable itself a few mm. a few days ago that questioned how how achievable that is. Yeah. Well, would you want to come back on that? I can come back on that. It is challenging, but we think we can do it. And what it might mean is as we start to insulate homes and reduce bills that towards the end of the decade, we might need to put council rents up by 2% or something in order to be able to afford the retrofitting. Okay. Transport. Uh, in terms of bold and ambition, views on the underground, the timing of the announcement of the underground and whether it's achievable and what would you do to improve? Probably, I would say, it's the one, arguably the biggest issue in Bristol that's never been solved. Solved. Yes, I agree. I think, you know, everybody says traffic, pollution, public transport is the thing that slows down business. It means people can't get to work. It's, you know, it is an equalities issue. As, you know, working with young people for the last 25 years, the one thing that they've always said is, we need cheaper and better buses. So, you know, that's absolutely, it, it is the key issue for, for the city that we really haven't tackled. And now I think I'm, I'm supportive of a long-term mass transit system, but as the mayor himself has said, it's 15 years away. And if it's 15 years away now, it's probably more like 20 or 25 years away, given how complicated it is. And people want to see change now. So my view is that we have... We have the infrastructure already in the city. We've got plenty of roads going everywhere. We need more bus lanes, better cycle lanes and better walking routes. And by making those smaller, more local adjustments, actually we can achieve a, a much better public transport system and cycling network in you know, the next five or seven years than if we concentrate on something that's that's 15 to 20 years away and I think people want to see the change now and from an emissions point of view we need to to see a change now so I would invest much more in our existing bus network we will give young people half price bus fares so anybody under 21 would get half price bus fares and yeah climate emergency I think Mm. Bristol was the um the first city that was first council to announce that um, was that something you welcomed when that came or were you cynical yeah well so of course I welcomed it it was the green party that put it forward and it highlighted to people how important this is as an issue and and actually transport is the only area where Bristol's emissions carbon emissions are rising so therefore that would be the key thing transport public transport cycling and walking is the key area where we need to tackle our emissions as a solution to our climate emergency is the same as the solution to our traffic problem. 
I think I remember having a conversation with long many moons ago, and you did say that you were good with money. I remember having a chat with you. <laughs> you know, would you say Mayor Marvin Reese has been good with money? Um, I, well, fundamentally, in the end, no, because they've lost almost forty million or forty-six million. We're not quite sure yet on Bristol Energy. The Bristol Beacon, whilst I'm fully supportive of it as a venue and, and want to support it, the, the amount of money that the council is going to have to spend on that has spiralled out of this world, out of control. Being someone who's experienced in buildings, because I think the counter argument to that was, you know, we just discovered something to do with the beams or something. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, and I know buildings is your kind of thing. Yeah. Would that have been something that you would have discovered earlier in, yeah, in, the, you, I, in the picture? Look, when you do big capital projects like that, you build in, if we're getting specific here, I don't know how interesting this is, but you build in a contingency yeah. for those sorts of things. You know, you, you know that we've redeveloped, we're just about to redevelop as Creative Youth Network, a, a big old building in the centre of town, the old courthouse. And, you know, you build in big amounts of money because you know you're going to find stuff in there that you that you didn't expect. So, yes, you know, the costs might grow a, a little bit because you find something that, that is more serious than you, you thought. But this is a cost that's gone from 46 million to 107 million. Right. So that's yeah. not just a, oh, we found something. It might cost us a couple of, you know, 10 percent more, 20 percent more. This is a you know vast increase. And somebody somewhere has made a real mistake in in not anticipating what the costs would be, you know, and, and we talked about the arena. Well, <laughs> if somebody had planned that properly so it's interesting i think the 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 council itself is is pretty well run and and seems to be you know conservative about its money and looks after it but actually the big projects that that the mayor is behind are out of control and do you think people will vote for and it's interesting, I do feel that in the last two mayoral elections, I know people that have certain political allegiances to certain parties that didn't always necessarily go that way. Mm. I wonder if the mayoral vote doesn't always go on to like a general election. No, there are two things. One is it's a, a local election, so people are more voting along local lines and local personalities. And also it's a different voting system. You get a first and a second preference, which actually means, and you know, this is why the Greens have been advocating for proportional representation, is when you, you with, a, with a system that allows you to really vote for who you want to vote for, means that people will vote for who they believe in rather than just to keep the other people out. Lovely. Thank you ever so much, Sandy. Most appreciated. Thank you. Uh, and good luck on the uh, campaign trail. Brilliant. Thank you, Neil. It's a pleasure. So that's it from the Green Party candidate for Bristol Mayor, Sandy Hoare-Riven. Next week, we talk to the Liberal Democrat candidate, Dr Caroline Gooch. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs. And a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city.